because an 11 year old's brain is not the same as the next 11 year old brain is not the same as the next 11 year old brain same with 12 and 13 year olds I mean there's no so the grade based system sixth graders are all the same seventh graders are all the same it's just a, it's a false assumption and we all know it so we say well let's not bother with that because standards most standards are middle school uh bands right for english mm -hmm. language arts there it's a middle school band of standards so students can be in an english class that's focused on like um you know writing for the aina writing for the for the land like that they can be theme based courses that students from all grade levels can approach and still respond to the standards and learn the standards and be assessed on the standards um but there's just no reason to Basically, we we said this is a structure that exists in so many schools that doesn't need to exist and maybe and, and isn't likely in the best interests of students. So let's bust it up. Hi, I'm Katie Martin, and this is the Learner Centered Collaborative Podcast. I'm an author, mom, educator, and lifelong learner on a mission to create authentic, inclusive, and equitable learning experiences that puts learners at the center. At the Learner-Centered Collaborative, we are guided by the persistent truth that a learner-centered approach is the foundation for a successful, thriving learning community. We are passionate about transforming visions for learning into actionable practices that positively impact learners and learning. During our time together, we'll explore challenges in education today, set ambitious goals for what is possible, and make space to celebrate the bright spots along the way. I'll share vetted practices and strategies that I hope will inform, inspire, and ignite your learner-centered journey. Together, we can empower all learners to actively engage in the world as their best selves. Let's get started. Welcome to the Learner Center Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Martin, and today we have Buffy Cushman-Pates. Buffy is the founder of SEEKS, a charter school in Hawaii. She has explored teaching and learning through the lenses of theory, policy, leadership, and through firsthand experiences as a teacher in both conventional and unconventional settings. Buffy completed her educational master's in school leadership at the Harvard Graduate School of Education in May of 2012 with school development as her concentration. She earned her principal's license while serving as a member of the leadership team of the Neighborhood House Charter School in Dorchester, Massachusetts. In 2010, Buffy was honored with an Albert Einstein Distinguished Educator Fellowship. She served her fellowship year at the National Science Foundation's Office of Legislative and Public Affairs. Prior to the fellowship, Buffy taught math and science in public, charter, and independent schools in Hawaii. She earned her Master's of Science in Geology and Geophysics from the University of Hawaii at Manoa and Bachelor's of Science in Geology from the University of Florida. She volunteered with Teachers Without Borders in 2008 and 2010, leading math and science workshops for teachers in South Africa. So I told Buffy before we started, I knew she was amazing, but I had no idea how amazing she was. So welcome, Buffy. Thank I admire you. your work at SEEKS and I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today. Thanks. Good to be here. So I want to start, I just shared a lot of amazing things about you, and I'd like to hear just a little bit more about some of the key experiences from your perspective that shaped you as the educational leader that you are today. Yeah, I definitely believe that experiences shape you. I think I want to put this out there pretty early in this in this recording that SEEKS is the school for examining essential questions of sustainability. And that really sort of defines what our school is and and what we do um and you know I would, I would say it's kind of my life's work right I didn't I didn't know that this was where my life would lead me to my mom was a teacher my dad a criminal defense attorney I was a super strong introvert I still am an introvert but I was definitely super shy growing up and um I certainly didn't know I would end up here I was a uh, you know when I went to college I thought I was gonna be a math major transferred to geology along the way. And the moment for that, I think it is relevant. The moment that I transferred to a geology major was when I was in an honors geology class. And my professor showed us a video that he had taken from the Alvin submersible at the bottom of the ocean of hydrothermal vents. And the like idea that the person standing in front of me in this room of 23 students had been 
in this place recorded this video. It just kind of blew my mind and shifted my understanding of science, which I'd always been sort of good at. I made A's, but I always thought science came from a book. It was in that moment that I understood that science was like active and alive and, and people discover things and make observations and like their under, our understanding of the world around us is, is developed by people. And I, I mean, it really, it was a moment and I was a sophomore in college and I'd been a straight A student all through the years. And I think it was just like, oh my God, I know nothing about the world. And how did it take me this long to understand this fundamental thing? So, you know, my school now is part of our philosophy is helping students get those kinds of experiences and understanding of the world way, way earlier. When they're in middle school, when they're 11 and 12, and as moms, we know that 11 and 12 year olds are fully developed humans with big brains, big ideas, and a huge capacity for understanding things in the world around them. And, and to not treat them as those whole people does a disservice not only to them, but really to like society because they have such capacity. So I think I had a major capacity, untapped capacity yeah. when I was 11 and 12. Um, and I didn't discover it till I was, you know, a sophomore in college. And I don't want that to be how our schools work. I, Buffy, I love to hear you say that. That was, I had a similar experience. I may not have been the straight A student, <laughs> but I definitely, you know, did fine in school and, and was very clear, same thing that like, it just all comes from a book. And I too remember being in my college classes and just all of a sudden the world was opened up with so many different ideas and experiences. And I just thought, I want to learn more. Yeah. And I never really had that feeling in my K-12 education. Uh, me neither. <laughs> me neither. Yeah. So, and I know you're, of course, you're the Seeks is a middle school and I went to teach middle school. I think it's the most interesting age um, and people either love it or totally shy away from it because I think they don't really understand middle schoolers. Uh, we can we can talk a little bit more about yeah. that. But you you talked about like this, you know, the untapped and you know capacity of of middle schoolers. So tell me a little bit more about what does Sikhs do? What is the Sikhs experience that really taps into that capacity of young people? Yeah, there's there's so much to it, but I'll sort of start by describing our basic school model, which is this combination of community, community building, community maintaining, which we think of as like the soil, you know, to grow a garden, you need rich soil to grow students, we need strong, rich community. And then we have content courses that we think of as the seeds like English, science, math, social studies, arts, students take all of those courses. And they're, but really the stuff they're, they're learning the skills and tools of disciplines, those are the seeds that then they're going to use, right? And in many schools, oh, they wait till you graduate, like us, we waited till we graduated from high school, went to college before we started to like get to use those seeds. But at SEEKS, we have an interdisciplinary project-based course called EQS, where students are examining essential questions of sustainability. And that's four afternoons a week. And we think of that as the place where we're sort of watering those seeds or nurturing those seeds. So the combination of this strong, rich soil of community building, the academically rigorous content courses, which are the SEEDS and the interdisciplinary project-based course, EQS, that combination helps students develop what we refer to as our sustainability skills, things like thinking systemically, collaborating productively. These are our, it's our learner profile. And we think of that, that like the students are sprouting those sustainability skills and ultimately in service of our achieving our Sikh's vision that you might say is like a fully grown tree, which is that seekers will be stewards of planet earth and healthy, effective citizens of the world. Um, so that's the big idea of the Sikh's model. Uh, and you can kind of hopefully hear in an interdisciplinary project-based course like EQS, there's things like EQS camp where we have two day fully immersive field experiences at a farm, at a loe, at a like experiencing businesses and um, students really digging in in the community. Uh, and then they carry out a project over the course of the semester. And then they exhibit those projects to an authentic audience, which is like we have events that are 200, 300 person events where students are the experts in their projects. And it's a kind of science fair style. 
Um, so EQS in itself is really super real world interdisciplinary. Our content courses are a little bit more, pro you know, more progressive, more uh, real world based than in a more traditional school, uh, but they're still standards based and um, heavy academic content. Um, and then, you know, the community, the fact that we're honoring kids as whole people with long chunks of time for advisory, community building, and play, because play is good for all of us, adults and students too. So, and then the, I said one other factor that we build in that um, we have a student ambassador program where students, when we have people that come visit our school, which we do pretty often, multiple times a week, our students lead the tours. Um, the student ambassadors lead the tours and then we go to classes and the class ambassadors talk about the classes. So it's super empowering for students to have the ownership of getting to tell visitors what their school experience is like. And I tag along on many of them and I love hearing them from their point of view. And I think the number one takeaway from the visitors is, wow, you really trust students here. The answer is, yes, we sure do. They're trustworthy. Yeah. If you trust them, they will, they, they will step up Yep. And I mean, they don't necessarily, they start there. And if we treat them as though they're trustworthy because they are, then they, they represent. Are. Yeah, they are. And I've been fortunate enough to be on a tour and be guided by um, some of these student leaders. And not only are they trustworthy, they are insightful. They're yeah full of incredible personality <laughs> and they have skills. They, you know, the sustainability skills, they, right. they have those skills and embody those skills um, to be able to talk about and show uh, what they're doing and what they're learning. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. And I, on those tours, I mean, you know, reflection, learning happens through reflection, right? These tours are actually an opportunity to reflect on their experience and kind of see it through someone else's eyes because there's somebody on this tour who hasn't been experiencing it with them. So it is a learning process. Like they are learning through mm -hmm. the reflection that they're doing when, you know, they showed up to give a tour, but they actually learn along the way. I mean, I think that's a, a quote assessment for learning, right? But it's not, it's not even assessment in any sort of school-based way, but it's assessment in the sense of, can you do this thing? Can you describe Right. Your experience to someone else in a meaningful way. Yeah. Communication, right? right? Leadership, those things yeah. that really matter. Um, they're able to demonstrate those in really authentic ways. Right. So you talked a little bit about, I mean, your sustainability skills and you equated yeah. it to a learner profile. Right. right. Uh, can you share what those sustainability skills sure. are? I mean, you know, it's tempting to say all five of them at once, but I'll, I'll say them again now. Uh, collaborating productively. Uh, you know, I'll even give the little catchphrase for them. Collaborating productively, working toward a common goal. We have a long definition for each one, but also a short definition. Mm -hmm. So collaborating productively, working together toward a common goal. Thinking systemically, seeing patterns, making connections, and designing solutions. Reasoning analytically, making judgments based on reasons and evidence. Managing effectively, Finishing what you start with effort, organization, and care for quality. And then communicating powerfully, expressing yourself so that others understand. Those are our five. I mean, we built those together as a faculty in our first full year of the school with support from Justin Wells at Envision Learning Partners, um, helped us build those out based on, you know, a big old brainstorm post-it session on the wall, infinity protocol, affinity protocol on the wall of what do we think it takes to be a steward of planet earth and healthy, effective citizen of the world? And, you know, brainstormed a whole bunch of things, all the people in the room and came up with these as the succinct way of, of naming them all. And this is what our students reflect on during their years at SEEKS. And after any time they do a project, they do a sustainability skills reflection and they build those into a portfolio of work, which then they collate in their eighth grade year and defend their readiness to move on to high school by way of showing that they have a personalized understanding of their sustainability skills with exemplars from their reflections during their time at SEEKS. Okay, I wanna like pause and double down on this because um, 
this is where a lot of times we see these learner profiles. And I, I, one of um, the things I hear from really progressive educators sometimes and really forward thinking, they're like, I don't want to create a learner profile because I've seen so many of them just sit on the wall in a poster. I'm so afraid of falling into this like trap. Hmm. But what you just shared, I want to kind of highlight a few things. One, you you created these together. Like yeah. it wasn't yeah. just something you wrote in a notebook and you're like, here, this is what everyone's going to do. You created them. Uh, and then you're using them with students. Teachers are helping them reflect on them. They're yeah. then taking ownership, creating their portfolio and responsible for defending their learning at the end of their eighth grade year. Yes. That and is- and they are in posters on the wall also. I'm just naming right. they are also. And they should be, right? But it, but they go beyond that and they, yes. they really embody. So we were talking earlier about our view as moms also. So when you think about these sustainability skills, I believe they were created before you were a mom. That's right. When, yes, they right? were. Yeah. So yep. I'm curious now when you look at these skills and you think about the growth you've seen in middle school students over the years, but then think about your own kids. Mm -hmm. How do these two translate in the skills that you want for kids at Seeks and the skills that you want for your own kids? I mean, they're one and the same. And that I think that's a really important part of being an educator is that you have to believe that the work you're doing in your school is the work that you believe in for your own kids. If you believe in it for any kids, you've got to believe in it for your own kids. And that's always been an absolute fundamental to the point of, I don't even think to name it, but since you asked, yes, I want my daughter, daughter to, daughters to communicate powerfully and collaborate productively. I mean, they're five and eight, so I can't say they collaborate productively yet. You're working on it, right? Occasionally, <laughs> occasionally they do um, communicate powerfully. You know, these are absolutely the, the skills. And, and I, of course, want my kids to be stewards of planet earth and healthy, effective citizens of the world. Um, yeah, there's no doubt that what I want for my kids and any student is the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And my, my, my oldest, my youngest daughter doesn't quite have her head wrapped around it yet, but my oldest daughter is just counting the days. It's actually years until she becomes a seeker, but she is very excited to come to the seeks. Oh, I can only imagine how fun that would be and how exciting it is to be able to create a school that your your kids can go to to have that that experience. But but as you mentioned, like I didn't even have kids in the like corner twinkle of my eye when I when the school when I founded this school. Um, and so my oldest daughter actually refers, she, I've said it and she says it now too. I'm your second baby. Seeks is your first baby. I'm like, you are right. That is what I've said. And it's true. <laughs> That's funny. They, they pick up on so much. Mm -hmm. um, so on that point, so often when I'm doing this work with schools or we're, we're trying to have this conversation about what really matters most for young people and what our school should be orienting to. A lot of people think, well, that's what I want for my kids. And that's what I care about. But everybody else just cares about test scores. And, you know, there, there, there's a misalignment around what people actually want. Because, you know, you said you created it in a community and you worked with, um, you know, people to, to develop these sustainability skills. What's the tension or is there a tension that you face around more traditional metrics of accountability? Um, we acknowledge that they exist and that we, uh, I mean, I, I would, I like to use my hands to describe this. So I'm not sure how well it'll work, but like, there's a bar. I mean, what we're aiming for, for our kids is a bar that goes above my head. What the standardized test measure is a bar that goes to my chin. And I say, when you're aiming for here above the head, yeah, I expect we're going to do well on the thing that goes to the chin, but I'm not going to stress about it because that like, if we put our energy towards that, then that's what we're going to end up at. We put our energy on the, the end game, which is stewards of planet earth and healthy, effective citizens of the world. And then we do well on the tests in the meanwhile. Right. Yeah. And you're designing to develop those skills. But I love how you said that. And I've often said something similar that, you know, the the standardized tests are a pretty low bar. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're the, getting, I will say they're like getting at least more complex. Like there's, they require more complex thinking, it seems these days, but yeah. 
but the end goal of these are skills in service of broader goals that matter and, and that are super hard to measure and that right. are super hard to measure yeah so let's let's dive they are super hard to measure but you've put some things in place to to measure what matters mm -hmm. uh so you talked a little bit about the portfolio process but i wonder if you can go into how are you measuring the things that that you really value in the Sikhs community? So we, I mean, it depends on how you define measure. Okay. Right? So, but when we do talk about like assessment and measurement, how do we measure the strength of our community through things like school quality surveys um, and even attendance, right? Do kids want to be in school? I mean, it's a little bit more complicated in post-COVID life, but uh, that's how we sort of try to measure. We do try to have measures of our community. Um, and then how do we measure content and EQS courses through, uh, we use standards-based grades. So there's a lot more information conveyed that's based on content standards and performance standards and work habits assessed separately and not counting towards the, the content grades. We're really trying to assess what does the student know and what are they able to do? Um, that's relatively measurable and you know at least on an individual student mm -hmm. basis, we have uh, public project exhibitions. Uh, so that's a measure, I mean, sort of air quotes measure. That's a, a thing that we do. Um, Student-led conferences. So that is how they convey to their parents how they're doing and, and the goals that they've set and their growth. Um, and so in the student-led conference, yeah. are they report they're reporting on their standards that they're met that they're mastering or what what are they reporting on in their student-led conferences yes, yes and although they we tend to build their student-led conferences around um sharing with their parents a couple of highlight projects or you know assignments that they're proud of or want to share and then also setting goals for themselves so here's where i am on this right now and here's where i hope to be on you know this is what i'm working on my work habit of completing assignments with quality is not where I want to be. Um, we intentionally have student-led conferences before progress reports come out or report cards. We call our report cards progress reports um, so that the students can own like this parent. I'm telling you parent, this is what, uh, what matters to me. And I want you to see my work and not just how it's assessed by someone else, mm -hmm. but what matters to me. So, um, Sorry, I want to like go big picture your question of like, how are we measuring these yeah. things? Um, and then of course the portfolio defense process. But in the portfolio defense, it, here's an interesting little asterisk is that our portfolio defense is no one is assessing the students on the sustainability skills. We are not assessing their sustainability skills themselves. We're assessing their the quality of their reflection their uh, ability to talk about their growth and their understanding of the skills. Because what I'm really adamant about, and this is a little bit, you know, I, I kind of have to fall on my sword for this sometimes, maybe that's not the right metaphor, but um, really stand up for this is that I don't believe that someone else can or should measure someone's ability to manage effectively or even collaborate productively or communicate powerfully. Because what that means to me is different than what it means to you, is different what it means to the next person, right? So who are we to assess someone else's ability to manage effectively? What matters the most is a student's own sense of their ability to manage effectively, to understand what it means, to think about how they've grown in it, to think about where they have challenges with it. So our portfolio defense process is really we, we've worked our rubric so that it's about the quality of their reflection um, and the evidence that they can use to support that reflection rather than assessing them on the sustainability scale itself. I think that's such an important point. And, you know, my experience has been similar and probably shaped in part by the defenses of learning that I've been able to see um, in your students. But We've tried sometimes people, you know, let's let's use a rubric and let's check it off and let's go and, you know, see all these skills and the the energy just gets sucked out of the room. It yeah. just it, it because it becomes so much more about a traditional assessment process than actually growing these skills. That's and, right. you know, if you think about the skills you mentioned and what we typically see collaboration, communication, thinking systemically. 
that's going to grow from seventh grade where your daughters are in, you know, first grade and third grade to where your middle schools are to high school students, myself, right. In different contexts. Also, we are able to demonstrate those skills differently, but it's important to have a grasp on it, to understand those skills are important and then have evidence of where you are and next steps. Right. Right. Yeah. And I love, and I think that's why the portfolio piece matters so much. And I hear sometimes people say, does that really count? Does my reflection count? Does like a, a picture count? And I think all of that counts if we're reflecting on it and it's helping us grow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think as soon as you, as soon as you have some external person, like, give you a grade or a score on something it just entirely changes the experience and your ownership of it like suddenly you've outsourced what you know best and I really I mean I'm really uncomfortable with it I think it's I think it's akin to like teacher evaluation right like that if teacher evaluation nobody wants to be scored on things they want to be treated as 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 humans, as growing humans, as thoughtful, reflective humans. Um, and then as soon as you get a score on something, like it's like you can't even talk about the other pieces anymore because they become secondary. That's such a great point because I so often see, you know, oh, they're exemplary. We have all these teachers that are just scored exemplary because people are afraid to give thoughtful, mm-hmm. meaningful feedback, which isn't actually helping teachers grow. But instead, if they actually got to show evidence of how they're growing, how they're demonstrating these skills that matter, then it can be a conversation about growth. And and again, because reflection is learning, right? Like even the process of of trying to provide those exemplars and show that evidence, teachers will learn and any human, any person learns and grows through the act of trying to make a point, right? Say like, I'm good at this. Here's why. Here's my evidence of it. And then you like look at it and you evaluate it and think, oh yeah, okay, but I could have done this better, right? And it's just so much better when it comes from the person themselves. I mean, of course there's obviously exceptions and there are exceptions. There are times when somebody else is the expert. And I mean, I, and that's, we assess our content courses where the teacher is the expert. The teacher does have a better sense of what it means to make a claim and support it with evidence than an 11-year-old does, right? And so the teacher is going to evaluate them, give them feedback and say, hey, you're just starting at this or you're striving at this and you're working towards succeeding. Um, But yeah, I think there's a lot of the times when someone else is assessing you, it just just takes your ownership away. And- when we think about traditional, typical school, my experience, likely your experience, how much of the assessment is done by somebody else without the students even being part of it? I mean, so much of it. <laughs> and, and, and then to these standardized, to standardize tests, it's somebody who does, like, there's no hum, human, there's no, they, students really are numbers. And I, I don't want to completely demonize standardized tests because yeah. I do understand that they do play a role, but that role is not about the humans that our students are. That role is about a collection and, 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 you know, identifying how groups are doing. Yeah. Well, even, yeah, I mean, and you're right, standardized testing, there, there's a range of ways. And if it's a metric and part of a whole assessment system, that's one thing, but even I see a lot in a traditional, typical classroom the assessment is done and so much of that work is done by teachers. Um, And maybe I'll just say, not even just the traditional, when the assessment is done and owned by the teachers, it's much easier for students to disengage. Mm -hmm. And it's a much different conversation when they are part of the process. They're setting goals. They're owning their, their next steps and then they're reflecting on how they've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, that as I think about where we can go in our assessment practices, that's just a lever that I think will create much more ownership and agency in our classrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, if teachers actually did less, <laughs> you know, less of the assessing and, and brought the students in more. When I think about what is, you know, I'm trying to think about what is the purpose of, I'm going to give an example of 
our, our student ambassador program, the students okay. who give the tours, right? Um, I want to give them feedback for improvement. I feel like if I were going to tell them, you know, if I were going to grade them or assess them on the quality of their tour giving, it would just take all the joy out of it for them. I do not want them ever to do that. However, I have a need when engaging with the other adults that help schedule the tours to assess the students to some degree to say, this student is like, if we have a high stakes tour, let's say a legislator is coming because that happens. I need, a, I need a really good ambassador. So I need to assess them to some degree to say, they're really great at sharing the big ideas of Sikhs and sharing about the schedule of Sikhs. So we have, we do have an assessment tool that only the adults use. It, it's never, it's not student facing. It's just simply, it allows us to make decisions based on quality that we know that we can assess, but there's no benefit for the students to know that they've been assessed as succeeding or striving at this various pieces. So anyway, I'm just kind of meta thinking about the purpose of some sort of standard but it's often not particularly, often, I'm saying often, not always, yeah. not particularly helpful for the student to know that assessment. Sometimes it is. There are moments when it is, but I would say not every assessment. So much of, of growing is through feedback, not assessment, but feedback, right? So that's, it's a really cool analogy. I'm curious, how does that translate to the core, the academic courses? What is a typical assessment when you're, you said you're standards based, right? But I also find that looks very different in many different contexts. So what does yeah. a standards based assessment system look like at SEEKS? Well, I think it, I think there's variability across our classrooms as well. How, what it looks like in the science class looks different than what it looks like in the math class, different than the English class, right? I think probably English is the one where, um, there's so much feedback for improvement along the way. And then and we also have formative assessments and summative assessments, right? So, um, but I think there's feedback for improvement along the way. And then the assessments that count, the summative assessments are projects or papers or final things. And up until that point, it's either formative or just straight up feedback. That's in an English class. In our science classes, I think the teachers, there's both, um, you know, ability to carry out an experiment or investigation or even just design one, mm -hmm. that can be one of the ways that they'll assess. Um, and, and they'll identify, here are the three standards. It's one content and two performance standards. They're going to be assessed as you describe how to carry out this investigation. Am I getting too in the weeds or is this what you wanted to know? No, I think, I mean, I think that people listening want to hear like, what does that actually look like? Uh, and I'm curious, this is what I've been asking a lot of people, because this is a range. How, what's the metric that's used when teachers are grading? Is there a point system? Is it met, not met on oh, yeah. the standards? Oh yeah, I've, I've been using the language, but I haven't explicitly named it. Our, our, our scale is starting, striving, succeeding, and soaring. And succeeding is the goal at all times. Soaring is truly going above and beyond, like exceptional. Mm -hmm. And then starting and striving are fairly self-explanatory. We also have one that shows up on the progress report rarely, but as SOS, like that's kind of when a student, you know, it's kind of the IDK, IDK, IDK on like, it's sort of a intentional, I'm not participating in this, but that's really pretty darn rare in our school. That's great to hear. Yeah. I mean, that it's, that it's rare. So does that translate when you send home report cards? It's simply they see striving, succeeding, or we have colors, we have color codes. So succeeding and soaring are both shades of green. Striving of is course, yellow. everything shades of green. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, and striving is yellow. Although I feel like in the, I, you know, we have a lot of nuance because we use the altitude learning platform and there's yeah. a lot of personalization or customization you can do. Um, we might even try and do it black and white in the first quarter because we don't want, we want first quarter. And oh, in the first quarter, we only show the actual content performance standards, no overall grade for the course in first quarter and third quarter. Okay. Uh, so it's just, we just try and get the students and parents to just focus on the standards themselves so that there's, so it's really about feedback for improvement. I'm like, here's what I understand. And here's what I don't understand rather than because a parent's default is to look and be like, 
did you get an A in math or whatever that seeks equivalent is, you know? <laughs> Uh, that's definitely the default. And so we do our best to try and like really get them to look at the data that we've gone out of our way to provide for them. That's so much more robust about how their student is learning. So an actual standards-based or competency-based system where you're saying, here's the things we want you to know and do. And we're giving you feedback on whether or not you know and can demonstrate learning in these actual standards. Yes. That's refreshing and really great to hear these models because a lot of times standards-based grading, learning, assessment, all of them get conflated with one through four, averaging those numbers, translating into a grade. Um, and I think it, it just, it negates the intent of really dem- you know helping young people understand what they know and can do versus accumulation of uh, numbers. I agree. And I want to name that we've, it's, you know, it takes a, it takes a a student information system or an assessment system that allows you to customize in that way, because for a number of years, we were using a system where it did, the default was to report them as numbers, one, two, three, four. And we really, once we switched, we're like, we really want students to internalize this concept of like, starting is starting, Starting is, is a, you've got room for growth. Starting is not sucking. Starting is, is not you're a terrible person or you're failing. It's just, you're starting to understand this. And so we thought if we really want students to internalize this way of thinking about learning, then we have to actually use the words. I love that so much. So We've talked a lot about, and I lo- I'll, I will share the example because on your website, you have that same graphic of yeah. the, the yeah. culture yeah. and the seeds Community. and yeah. the, the growing tree, which is just really a beautiful metaphor. And now I wonder, people are probably wondering, great, Buffy, this sounds cool. I want to come see Seeks, yeah. but it's in Hawaii. I can't always get over there. Help me understand your schedule because I know you've also done, love, like, how do you fit this into a day? for advisory and yes. core classes and project-based learning and all the things. Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked also, you know, this is, the schedule is on our website. So www.seeks.org, S-E-E-Q-S.org. You can see the schedule on our website, but yeah, I believe that how you spend your time is how you enact your values. So if you value these things, you have to build in time for them. So what's not shown is the time for teacher collaboration. There's a lot of time for teacher collaboration in our schedule, but I'll talk about the student schedule. And the student schedule is we start every day with community building. So on Mondays and Fridays, it's an advisory where they do like a morning meeting type approach where every student greeting and sharing every day and then play together. Tuesdays and Thursdays, it's physical activity in physical activity that students have chosen, whether it's gardening or yoga or ultimate frisbee, pickleball, um, and students and adults playing together. But basically that first 45 minutes of the day, oh, by the way, our school day starts later, 830. So that first 45 minutes of the day is priority community building. Um, And then we go into three long blocks of academic content, two 70 minute blocks before lunch, one 70 minute block after lunch. And then the end of the day, four days a week is our EQS course, our interdisciplinary project-based EQS course. And it's about two hours, uh, four days a week. So, and those courses are co-taught by at least two teachers from different disciplines. So it's truly interdisciplinary in that sense. And it's the same teachers that teach all the other courses in our school. Um, but and but in interesting combinations and pairs based around really their, their sustainability interests and passions. Um, Wednesday schedule is a little bit different. We have a late start for faculty meetings. So our faculty meetings happen first thing in the morning rather than the end of the day when teachers are tired. Students come in at 9.30 on Wednesdays. They have the three academic content blocks, but instead of EQS, in the middle of the day, we have a chunk of time for a longer advisory block, about 80 minutes, where we do the more intensive social emotional learning lessons, or sometimes we'll have a whole school assembly. Um, Sometimes we have something that we refer to as town hall, where students can help make decisions about the school. Um, But yeah, our our weekly schedule, and it's an A, B, A, B day schedule. So over a course of two weeks, they have every content course five times, but 70 minute blocks. Does that answer your question? It does. And I will make sure to link that as well, because 
uh, help. I, I think you're totally right. Scheduling time for it. So you've scheduled time for community building for that mentorship. And, you know, if I remember correctly, those mentors or those advisors are also the ones helping students with their portfolio, you know, yep. and their defensive yes. learning. They're with yes. them over the three years. Yes, that's right. So, and they're so all, um, I didn't mention multi-age, but our, our advisories are multi-age as are most of our classes, including EQS. So sixth, seventh and eighth graders combined together. Yeah. Can you, I mean, talk a little bit about why that's important. Uh, because because an 11 year old's brain is not the same as the next 11 year old brain is not the same as the next 11 year old brain, same with 12 and 13 year olds. I mean, there's no, so the grade based system, sixth graders are all the same, seventh graders are all the same. It's just, a, it's a false assumption and we all know it. So we say, well, let's not bother with that because standards, most standards are middle school uh, bands, right? For English language arts there, it's a middle school band of standards. So students can be in an English class that's focused on like, um, you know, writing for the Aina, writing for the for the land, like that they can be theme-based courses that students from all grade levels can approach and still respond to the standards and learn the standards and be assessed on the standards. Um, but there's just no reason to, Basically, we, we said this is a structure that exists in so many schools that doesn't need to exist and maybe and, and isn't likely in the best interests of students. So let's bust it up. Awesome. And that's also probably helps with scheduling that you don't have to have just a seventh grade teacher or a sixth grade right. teacher yes. and can allow for that flexibility. I mean, there's plenty of other challenges we have with scheduling, but um, but yes, that is true. It's not you're not a sixth grade teacher or a seventh grade teacher, or an eighth grade teacher. Uh, you get to teach content from your passion and theme-based. So you have the time for, for culture and community building. You have time for the core content standards, like you said, but they're progressively, you know, assessed and feedback. Yep. And, you know, as you said, theme-based mm -hmm. and then the, the real targeted project-based time. Now, the skills that students are learning in their core classes, are they applying in any way or is there connection to the projects? Uh, the skills, yes. But I, I'm glad you asked it that way because the skill, the whole idea is that you're learning skills and tools of a discipline so that you can apply them in the world around you or in college or, in, you know, but we say, why wait till college or life after high school, right? Let's apply them this afternoon. But it's not necessarily the same content. Right. So, uh, you know, you might in science be learning about, uh, I don't know, cell biology, but in your EQS, your science content is the uh, water system, you know, um, the water cycle. And if you've already had that in your science class, then you're applying that specific content. But most of the students, you know, it, there's not explicit overlap in the teachers. Um, we, our students are not cohorted. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So Seeks has grown a lot. Is it 10, 10 years this it's year? 10 year, yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you've grown a lot. You've, and a lot has been from the, from your initial design, but really intentionally designing. I visited, I actually don't think I've been to the new building, but I visited when you were on campus because a lot of people say well we can't do this we don't have a building I'm like you can Seeks had tents outside right oh yeah we were, we did tents before tents were cool we've <laughs> had tents for 10 years and now you have a building um you have thoughtfully designed for young people young adolescents uh so that they develop the skills to do meaningful things in the world and I know they are. I know they're reaching out. I know you have, yeah. you know, some yeah. who are who have graduated and continue to do great things. I'm wondering, what are your reflections after 10 years? What are the things that you've learned from starting at school, challenging the status quo? I mean, this was like still in the throes of no child left behind when you started Seeks and you've grown, you know, till 2023. What are your biggest learnings? Um, okay, I'm going to answer a question that you didn't exactly ask, but I can answer that one too. But the okay. one that I'm just, I, th I mean, it's it's always the kids. I mean, I feel like if, if the question is what keeps me going, because that is a question that I get asked and then it's worth asking because it's I like, don't get me wrong. I am 
so, so proud of what we're doing, but it's hard work every day. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's challenging work every day because we are pushing the cutting edge of what people are okay with. I mean, people have a concept of what school is and we're pushing the edges of that. And that's, and that's, it's work, it's work to push, right? And it's mm -hmm. constant work to push. And if you let up, the thing just snaps back, right? It's so easy for it to snap back. Um, so I've learned that what fills my cup is being around middle school students. Uh, I really enjoy middle schoolers. I always have. Um, at, well, ever since I was, I was a teacher. When I was a teacher, I taught middle school math and I loved it. It's still my favorite job in the world. Um, so honestly, I built a, th this ambassadors program. I keep keep it going and keep building it out because I really enjoy spending time with middle schoolers and hearing their reflections on the world. Um, what have I learned? People underestimate middle schoolers, that's mm -hmm. for sure. But I've also learned, I mean, when we created this model as a charter school, the opportunity of charter schools is sort of the research and development arm of the public education system. And we were researching and developing kind of this collection of ideas. Do they work together? Does this make sense? Can you really do this? And I've learned that you can. <laughs> and I admit that I wasn't certain going into it. So I've been pleasantly surprised and pleased and continue pushing. And I just want to say like, I is not really the subject of that sentence. We, uh, because teachers are the ones doing the work every single day, right? Every single day, teachers are engaging with kids in meaningful ways around things that matter. They're the ones actually doing the work. My job is just kind of hold the whole system together and just keep reminding folks that this is the system, this is the way the system works, but it's teachers. And this teacher appreciation week, let me make sure that it's super abundantly clear that teachers are the one doing the work, the hard work of helping middle schoolers become the best versions of themselves every day. Oh my God. So, so powerful and so true. And, um, yeah, the underestimating middle schoolers. And I would say to that point too, um, underestimating the power of a teacher who gets young people and who yes. can pour into them. And loves, um, loves them, truly. Loves them, right. Loves and, them. and, you know, many people know as a mom of two middle schoolers, there's nothing more important to me than you seeing my kids yeah. understanding the strengths they people. bring. Yes. And yes. being willing to develop them and grow them, yes. um, none, nothing matters more than that. So like I'm yes. getting thick and skin as you're saying that, Katie, because I see it in our teachers every day, like just how much they care for these kids and know them, like really know our students. And I think the structures of our school support them being able to spend time with kids and really genuinely know them by playing with them, by doing these like complicated projects with them and by teaching them. I think you just, that's so important that I want to just emphasize that, that teachers do love and care about their kids. Oh they don't God. often have structures and opportunities to be able to do the things with them that matters or show that. And what you said is you've designed a system that they can do that and really lean into that and both enjoy their work and be really impactful in it. Yeah. And, you know, I want to go back to like kind of the one of the first questions you asked me is like, what led me to this place? Well, I was a teacher and I really loved connecting with kids. And I felt like the structures of not just the school I was in, but any school that I looked around and saw, they didn't support teachers and kids being whole people together. And yet I saw that that was where the most growth and the most meaning happened. So I wanted to create a school where Adults and kids could be whole people together and that interdisciplinary learning could happen because that's where it's at. The last few questions in our rapid fire. Oh, okay. So I didn't tell you about that. It was a secret. I, so okay. <laughs> here's for, what should we stop doing in education? Oh, I'm not good at fast answer questions. Uh, Making kids go to school at 7.45 in the morning. Thank you. <laughs> Very hard as a parent to get up and get them there at 7.45. Yeah. What's one thing we should start doing? Having time for adults and kids to be real whole people together authentically. 
here's that I'm curious. What is something that you as Buffy are focusing on or learning right now? Um, how to be a manager of people. Um, because I came into school leadership really kind of because I wanted to create the school that I wanted to be a part of as a teacher. And I thought of myself always a teacher as, as it turns out, I'm a leader and I have to do this part of the job and it means managing people. And I didn't, I'm really good at managing like 11 to 13 year olds, but, um, (laughs) uh, managing adults is just, it's just a learning area for me. I don't, I'm not saying I'm terrible at it, but it's a really a learning area for me. I feel you deeply there. Um, what is many, what is one thing that many people might not know about you? That I'm a strong introvert. Yeah. And I also want to know, I can't believe about your travels in South Africa to learn more about that later too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, what's one thing that you're grateful for right now? My family, my, 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 I didn't even know if I wanted to be a parent, And now that I have kids, I knew that I would love them, but I didn't know I would like them so much. I really enjoy these small people in my life. And as you can only imagine, middle school, like I, you know, I'm like, they, it only gets better. It is so fun. I remember someone telling me, I actually enjoy hanging out with my kids. And I thought I was like, they were two and three at the time. And I was (laughs) managing a lot of stuff and I do. I love hanging out with them. They are such cool people and I feel so grateful. So last one, what is your hope for the future of education? I mean, my hope for the future of education is that we focus on what really matters and what really matters is honestly the planet that we're a part of and our collective roles in it and that nothing good happens without community. And so really prioritizing that, that, what people need to be learning is not old content from books, like we talked about at the beginning, but instead how to be good people, how to be stewards of planet earth and healthy, effective citizens of the world. Buffy, thank you. You're amazing. And uh, I hope that everyone else can at least see the videos and learn a little bit more about Seeks and what's possible because of what you've created. Thank you so much. Hey everyone, it's Katie. I am trying something new on my 16th episode of the Learner Centered Collaborative Podcast. One of my colleagues who was listening asked what my thoughts were about some of the podcasts and what I agreed with or disagreed with or what I was maybe thinking more deeply about and suggested that that would be an interesting thing to listen to uh, after I'd done one of the podcasts. So I just finished the podcast with Buffy Cushman-Pates, the founder uh, and executive director of Seeks, a charter school in Hawaii, and truly a really amazing learner-centered environment and, and cool middle school that, of course, I wish my own kids could go to and wish that I could have worked with Buffy. She started in um, Seeks right after I left to Hawaii and we kind of um, missed each other. But as I had the opportunity to spend a little bit more time with her and dig into her beliefs and really the principles around Seeks, one, I was just in awe of how clearly she's thinking about and can hold the vision she has for her community and the ingredients that really make that up. Um, And she talked about, I believe, five core pieces, the culture um, and community building, the courses, high quality, rigorous core classes, the EQS, which are their project-based, authentic learning experiences where young people and educators can work together to solve um, really important problems and do authentic work. And then how that those three things really build their sustainability skills that matter most to them. And what I was really impressed by in seeing Seeks and seeing the work that students do, but also in the design 
is that there's intentional time built into the schedule to really do all of this work that matters uh, and, and really also building in time to play. So all the things that we say matter don't get pushed aside. They are they're designed for and there's time set aside so that people can connect and develop the social emotional learning skills um, that are really important to think about developing core content, but then applying it in ways that matter, doing projects, really thinking deeply, um, working with mentors, their teachers, experts, um, and just having an opportunity to lead their own learning, but also be in a community of people doing work um, that matters in service of our world. And of course, in Sikhs, that's um, in service of the planet. So I'm just thinking about the work that she's done, the sustainability of leadership. Buffy talked about being a teacher first, which really I identify with as a middle school teacher, doing the work that we get to do, but still really um, just identifying as a teacher. And um, it just made me think of how important that is for our leaders to understand creating a context where teachers want to work, where kids want to learn, where people want to be in community together. And we um, we can lose that sometimes in schools when the work gets hard and um, we're focusing on checking the boxes instead of really creating these environments. And I think something Buffy also said was, if you aren't attending to pushing boundaries, it's really easy to snap back. And the importance of leaders in this work who are constantly pushing boundaries and creating the systems so that people can do the really important work um, is something that can't be underestimated. We talked a lot about how teachers, how important they are. I don't think we talked enough uh, about how important the leaders are who create the container and set the conditions for teachers to do this important work. So that's something that um, I'm reflecting on after this. And um, and also the piece that Buffy really um, emphasized. I think we see standardization and innovation kind of at odds with each other. And Buffy really didn't... Um, you know, she wasn't going to put down standardized tests and say they're horrible and we don't we don't attend to those. She really said they're part of the process. They're not horrible. We just don't overly focus on them. She has a lot more ways that are intentionally measuring what matters and the standardized tests are part of it, but she's not letting it overshadow everything to cloud um the vision or get in the way of what she's trying to do at her school. So she used the analogy of like the standards are, you know, I, I always say a low bar. She wouldn't let me off the hook with that. She said at the chin. Um, but I think that it's, it's definitely not the high bar that we're shooting for. And if you shoot beyond those standards to focus on the learner profile or sustainability skills or whatever it is that um, are the true North star outcomes, then you're still creating those really rich learning environments, attending to standards, um, but the application of those skills in authentic contexts that develop the habits uh, and those skills that are most important in the world, critical thinking, problem solving, collaboration, communication, thinking systemically, being a, a you know a global citizen, those are the skills that I hear often most people want and that are included in those learner profiles. And the way that Seeks is set up is intentionally designed to meet those, but not selling short the skills that kids need to be able to do well on a test and to have those core skills and habits to allow them to do well in um, academically and be able to apply skills uh, in, in a world beyond school. So that's kind of my thinking um, and reflections afterwards. Buffy, again, an incredible leader. Uh, and there's some really cool stuff they're going to start doing to make their process and thinking more visible so that people can continue to learn from them. So stay tuned and definitely keep tabs on the Seeks community and what they're doing. 
Thanks for listening to the Learner-Centered Collaborative Podcast. We want to hear from you, so be sure to share your key takeaways using the hashtag LCCPodcast on social media. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review to help others find the show. To learn more about Learner-Centered Collaborative, head over to LearnerCentered.org. This episode was hosted by Dr. Katie Martin, produced and edited by Paul Haluszczyk, and web support was provided by Andy McCranny. Thanks again for listening, and catch you on the next episode.